Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is the effervescent Bridget D. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Now, we are hoping that Janine's going to be able to join us at some point during the recording today. We don't really know exactly when, but uh, she's dealing with some family stuff. And um, as soon as she can get here, she will get here. She, which, and she's looking forward to it because we have Master Lama Rasaji back joining us today. Yeah. And but I'm going to save Thank her until she gets here. So, you know, oh. something to look forward to for a little bit later on. But, uh, yeah, well, after last week's performance, we had to have you back. Oh, and you guys are so kind. That's just because you don't know my real background. That's all. <laughs> well, we're working on that. <laughs> the problem is the private investigator I hired still hasn't given me the report. So, no, no, no. That's it. Everybody's dematerializing these days. It's amazing right, how much yes. is happening. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, if you're tuning in on the live stream, if you have a question for the llama, be sure to plug it into the chat. We'll be glad to pass it along. I'm going to start off with a question that I'm kind of curious about. And okay. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of um, background to the question. Uh, a few years ago, I remember seeing a photo of a couple of monks, not sure what kind of monks. They may have been Tibetan. I'm not really sure, though. Mm-hmm. A couple of monks, and they were in the car of a roller coaster. And they had their hands mm-hmm. in the air, and they were going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> so it made me wonder, uh-huh. how does Alava have fun? What do you guys do for fun? Well, you know, that sounds like an episode from Karate Kid number four or something where they're <laughs> racing in a Volkswagen, right? Right, yeah. Um, well, number one, uh, you know, people, are, the thing I think we get most often is llamas seem to always be smiling like a Cheshire cat. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and the thing that I can tell them is that since Tai Chi Gong is such an inner game, and the existence of us for 3,000 years, um, and then living part of your life in the Himalayas, I was, like, fortunate, of course, to go to India and spend about four and a half years learning about the roots of our system. And that's been pretty incredible. But, you know, I don't know about all the llamas. I know about this llama, and I love to bowl. I love to fish. One of my favorite things to do is I'm about five minutes from the ocean, uh, the Atlantic, and I love to go surf fishing. And that's nice. something that I enjoy doing even as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, my wife, she's from the Philippines. Of course, if you're from the Philippines, bowling's a must. Shooting <laughs> billiards is a must. And, of course, Everybody has a karaoke voice, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. The truth comes either. out. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's my funnest thing? I it's I guess it's one of the reasons I love doing uh Walt what I do, but I love people. I always mm-hmm. have, ever since I can remember. And I was very fortunate at a very young age to be a part of really multicultural people, you know? And I mm-hmm. just you know, I've lived 10 years of my life in third world countries, and there's not many American-born people that no. can actually say that. You know, I mean, even after a couple of years in the military, usually you're back, right? Mm-hmm. Or if yeah. you do the Peace Corps, it's usually a couple of years. But 
Or if you're a career military, but in that case, you're usually shipped around to different locations. You're usually not in one That's location. Right. That's yeah. right. I spent three and a half years in Tibet, about four mm-hmm. and a half years in India, Philippines, Hong Kong, Mexico. So I guess it's a couple of things. Number one, um, you know, uh, the spiritual journey, as you guys know from last week, it started very early with me. A lot of times people mm-hmm. say, why do you think about the spiritual all the time? And I said, <laughs> well, and I also get the same question about health. And and the answer mm. is the same. I said, when mm. you all of a sudden at 10 years old, you realize you don't have good health. And then oh, you I suffer would. in that physical body for about two years. And, you know, the fun, the funny part of that story is, you know, I'm outside the body at surgery in 68 and I got this guy over my shoulder pushing, trying to get me back in. And I'm looking at him. I said, you know, I know I'm not too bright, but I didn't fall off no turnip truck, you know? And I said, <laughs> you think I'm going to get back in there? You must not know who I am, right? <laughs> and so this went round and about, you know, must have been a half hour. So of course, when you're out of the body and you're on a different dimension, you know, time and space has been altered greatly, right? And, uh, so I, I tell people, that I, because of having that near death or death experience, that's one thing for the spirituality part. The other thing, because I didn't have much health in my life, it was natural for me and my dad to seek out health. You know, I watched all these kids doing stuff that number one took energy. I didn't have it. Number two, to be able to do things standing on your feet. I remember that first year of martial arts, I mean, the first six months, I did most of my class in a chair. Mm, That's how much energy I had. That's how much stamina I had. But as I investigated herbal remedies, it's kind of funny. They call it alternative medicine. You know I mean? (laughs) So, so when did God's pharmacy become alternative, right? I I think, I think they got it backwards. I think (laughs) what we call the pharmaceutical energy is, a couple hundred years of alternative, you know, push, push a button, pop a pill, right? Instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Let's change it. I was fortunate. You know, the medical field, even though they fixed the plumbing part, they had kind of given up on where they thought I was going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad, he'd be the first to tell you, you know, that he was a business redneck from Tennessee mm-hmm. and he would just tell you, you know, and he started out as a truck driver, but ended up running the ninth largest road contractor company in the world. Oh my. Wow. So he went from driving a truck Mm -hmm. to being president of that very company. Wow. And ended up with 2,100 employees with in charge of 19 asphalt plants from Key West to North Carolina. And, uh, you know, he looked at this guy and he said, you know, I don't, I'm going to find a way to do it. And so the next thing I know, it was like, you know, reading health food magazines, uh, cause it wasn't really a lot of health food books, but I remember when I got into Jethro's claws back to Eden and I'm reading that book about this thick, I'm going, Oh my God, there's God has placed on the earth a natural remedy for everything that ails mm-hmm. mankind. Mm. I said, obviously, he didn't do that by accident. You know, one thing I've learned about God over the period of time is um, 
he's very precise. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's like, he's really on time. I guess that's why they call him omnipresent. Mm. And he, he's got something for everything. And, you know, even though sometimes we don't want to do it the way he wants to do it. And we go to, you know, in, in the Lamasary, the basic concept for us of prayer means to ask. Meditation means to listen. Mm. And contemplation means to become. Okay. So we hear him tell us things if we're in communication. Isn't it funny how we kind of like want to mess it up? I, I didn't hear you right, did I? You don't really want me to do that, do you? <laughs> and so. That's interesting. Well, I, I got two questions as a sure. follow-up to those. First one, what's your bowling average? <laughs> you know, when I bowl regularly, I can actually get up close to 200. Good for you. But, it, but if I go and bowl like, and it's been a couple of years, I'll go in. I'm lucky if I do probably 130, 140. Yeah, sure. Well, if you're not in practice. My, my, but, you know, I love it. I mean, I really, I really love it. And, uh, um, and I love just walking on the beach. You know, one of the things that I did, Walt, was when, when I realized that I was, I was a very early age where I began to realize I had a lot of responsibility about my health and illness that I, I did not know. Mm. So about 13 or 14 is when I really start realizing this. It's a couple of years after surgery. And I remember I was throwing a paper route. So I had already had a job, 13, 14, throwing a paper route. Uh, and then I remember they always wanted me to walk. One of the things they wanted me to do is drink a lot of water and do a lot of walking. Mm. And they said, if you'll do those two things, very unlikely you'll ever have problems with your kidneys again nice. because water's moving, you're moving that water, and you're mm-hmm. moving the water through you. Sure. And 50% of everything you drink every day should be good, wholesome water. Mm-hmm. And so if I can get you to walk, well, I realize, you know, human beings are kind of inherited lazy, you know? <laughs> and and I was probably one of the most laziest. You know, I was a real kind of Southern lazy boy. And I said, I got to be creative if I'm going to start doing something I don't really feel called to do, which is exercise and move. And, of course, you know, having chronic fatigue syndrome at that time didn't help mm. me either, right? So I said, I have to be inspired. So I would ride my bicycle to different neighborhoods. A year later, I was still too young to drive. So I had a little motorcycle and I could go a little further. So then I was going to parks. Mm-hmm. And then this week I might go to the beach. Mm-hmm. And little by little, I really got into walking. Ah. And I really started, I think, discovering in a gentle way what the first Lama discovered when he went to China. And that was, you know, you walk by the water and your spirit feels one way. And then you start walking in parks in the woods. And even with trees only 75 to 100 years old, you start feeling a different way. Absolutely. But you feel positive. You know, you can't quite put your finger on it. And that came later when I had all the training that kicked in. But I remember doing that. And once I got the 72 Monte Carlo, boy, that first car, then I was driving (laughs) all over to find places to walk, right? 
And I, you know, Southern's in me and every now and then I get a, a little hankering for having to watch a little NASCAR racing. (laughs) And I know that God saved me for that because my foot gets a little bit heavy on the accelerator. Uh (laughs) Oh, the truth comes out. Okay. Definitely. I've had a few Mustangs in my life and, you know, and a couple Camaras and, uh, yeah. I kind of imagine you like a modern day Huck Finn is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, you'd probably be right on target. <laughs> right on target. Yeah, probably I'm best, you know, down here in the swamps of Florida, right? You get the airboats. And one thing about the airboats, a lot of people don't know it, is you actually have a plane propeller behind mm. your back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. And I've been on those things. I said, gosh, this feels too natural to be real. You know, I'm trying to think, how am I going to drive and, and chant with my mala beads at the same time? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, but I, I'm one, um, that definitely, you know, I, your guys show is perfect for me because, you know, I just so much believe in laughter. When I was a little kid, I, one of my favorite things was to sit around with my dad on Sunday night and watch Red Skeleton. Mm-hmm. Red Skeleton. And, oh, yeah. and if you've never, if, I know some of your audience is going to be pretty young, especially Miss Bridget over yeah, here. You, you'll have to go look on YouTube for some Red, for yeah. Red Skeleton. Yeah. Go Red, but you know a person's funny, Bridget, when they don't even have to open their mouth. Yeah. It'd be funny, right? Well, I what mean, was great about Red Skelton is that he was funny, like you said, before he opened his mouth, when he walked on a stage because he had this big smile on his face. He was yeah. always smiling. He was, he must have been like half llama or something. Yeah. He, I think he was. I you think know? he was at least a surrogate or a clone llama for Pretty sure. Pretty close. Had, had yeah. been. But my gosh, I would just laugh and stitch his roll on the, he would do Clem Kadiddle Hop. Oh yeah, that was And <laughs> I think I would just fall to pieces, man. Yeah. And uh, I think the modern day version of that was when I f- went to the movie and saw uh, Dudley Moore do Ar- Arthur. Oh, right, right. And yep. that was like the first time that a modern day comic hit me in the way that Red Skeleton yeah. hit me. But if anybody's never seen Arthur, oh my God, you gotta, you gotta see Arthur. I, I literally, I, 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 I probably drove people out of the movie theater the first time I was laughing. So <laughs> but, uh, you know, the funny thing about, you know, what we know about what I've discovered about people is, there's a lot of people today that are opening up as you guys know, spiritually, whether they're religious, non-religious, no matter, we're all spiritual beings. But one thing I've loved about laughter is that, you know, when you're laughing, you can't be worried and you can't be sad. And, and I think one of the strongest things that I'm trying to teach people to overcome is, you know, you can spend 15, 30 minutes a day doing some self-improvement, maybe a little praying, a little meditating, connecting, maybe some Tai Chi, maybe some yoga, maybe not, but but Mm -hmm. connecting in your own way. And my Lord, a phone can ring and a family member, a non-family member, and all of a sudden you got a dose of worry. Mm-hmm. And all the positive energy you tried to build in the morning just went completely out the door because I've discovered this over the years. We don't give the same emotional power to each emotions nor to each thinking. Oh, to, definitely. 
You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Look, look at the level that people give to fear and worry, right? This stuff. Can you imagine what would happen to the world if we just taught them to give that kind of emotion to joy, love, and laughter? Oh my goodness. What, what a self-improvement concept, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That, that war, worry will just completely go out the window. What I've discovered with my world travels too in different cultures, the degree of worry is deeply embedded. Oh yeah. Is in certain cultures even more than others cultures, right? Well, it's habitual really. I mean, it's a habit that's built up over millennia. Oh, yeah. Generations has been going on for a long time, except in Bridget's family. She, Bridget doesn't seem to have any. Bridget, you can tell by she don't have a wrinkle on her face. She don't even know what the word worry means. It's like we're speaking another language. (laughs) I wanted to know what your um, advice would be for someone who like felt uninspired and to them, they can't really connect well with nature. What would you say for that person? Well, the first thing I would say is go to Risaji.com and read my first book for free. That's ah, what I would say. That's okay, the first thing I would say. Okay. But Great key, plug, by the way. I must say. Yeah, that was well done. Slipped, <laughs> slipped it right in like a llama to. does. You just write like that. Yeah. Yeah. I told you, Forrest Gump goes llama. I'm not going to wait a moment. There you go. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. But I think it, the root, Bridget, of all depression is you're alluding to. I think you're stepping right in it because in that first chapter, if, if somebody truly believes they're connected to the divine, even in bad times or feeling lousy times, they know that he's there, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they believe in God, but they're in the victim state of yeah. he dropped me off at the bus station. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or I believe in God. He didn't drop me off the bus station, but I sure don't feel like I can connect with him. Example like Walt, Bridget, Lama, Rasaji do, right? So for some reason, God's dealing you and me a better portion than it's dealing them. See, I think these are three frameworks of how a lot of people today feel about their connection to the divine. That's why in my first chapter, I talk about that. Now, imagine... They're in any one of those threes. I got to tell you that a depressed person, they're going to be in one or more of those states on a constant basis. And that is their unconscious affirmation that they are repeating simultaneously. See, in that chapter, one of the things I told people is do a little bit of investigation with psychologists. You know, the old saying is you can't keep doing and thinking the same way and expecting different results, right? Mm-hmm. That's the definition of insanity. Well, psychologists take that a little bit further. What they say is it's amazing when they do therapy on patients of how many people are thinking the same thought process that they thought five, ten years ago. Oh, yeah. Had Hadn't really changed. As a matter of fact, it's usually in the 80 to 90 percentile that they don't realize that, you know, they can take up this and begin to five, 10, 15 minutes a day, do it consciously, or they get to surrender to the rest of the world thinking through them. Because what most people are doing, 
you know, they're allowing CNN and Fox News and Lord knows some kind of soap opera to basically speak through them and not and not conscious enough to know that how much that's influencing their whole day. And these days you can add in social yeah. media. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 You know, it's amazing, you know, the polarity of social media. You know, I was one of the first hundred thousand on Facebook. Can you imagine? One of the first hundred thousand people on Facebook have two profiles. You went to Harvard. Oh, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I was there. I can remember that happening, right? And I remember I was there, but I remember before the fuss, right? Mm. As a matter of fact, what was the social media that was before that? I came over MySpace. That. Yeah. So I go back that far, making that shift, right? And because I had a little bit of an entertainment background, a lot of the entertainment people naturally went to my space, right? I still yeah. have friends that I performed with years ago in New York mm. that, that were still there. As a matter of fact, some of those are friends. That's how old some of these friendships are mm. there. And boy, have we ever seen a change. You can imagine, yeah. right? If you're talking about a decade or longer on any one of these social medias, man, I mean, there was a time where, you know, taking a picture of what I ate for dessert was like more important than, you know, anything and who my buddies were. <laughs> this was like news, right? Oh my gosh, look at that cheesecake. Isn't it delicious? You know? <laughs> so you would think everybody in those days was selling food for Facebook. I mean, you almost right. thought they were selling food for Facebook, right? It was really funny, but, uh, it is funny. It you was, know, well, it also, it reminds me of my own uh, background because I, I was, um, among other things, I, I did programming pretty much from the beginning of the web. Oh, interesting. So, so from like when HTML 1.0 first came out in all of its bugginess, I was one of the few who was learning how to do it. And to, to remember back what it was like then and trying to envision what it would be like now, I mean, we got some of it right, those of us uh -huh. who were imagining it, but there's an awful lot we missed. Oh, wow. And so, social media was definitely one of them. I never in a million years would have picked social media as a major, major player by now. First of all, because I didn't even know the name. But second of all, just the concept of people, you know, doing all this online stuff together as a regular way of doing things. Right. I mean, I thought it'd be like, you know, an occasional business meeting or something like that. Yeah. It never occurred to me that people would be doing it 24 seven. Well, so, or they would take the concept of fraternity or sorority, and now it's a two billion people sorority right. fraternity worldwide. Whoever thought they would go in that direction, right? <laughs> well, Mark Zuckerberg did, but other than him. Yeah. <laughs> well, he claims he did, but there's some people that, that claims a different, right? Yeah, it's kind right. of funny. I mean, and that's a whole story in itself, and we got to be careful. We don't want to get kicked off of their their, their channels, right? That's true. So, yeah, we're, we're currently streaming there. There's like three or four of them, so Oh, you're right. <laughs> it's a kept secret, guys. Don't listen to us. Yeah. It's too fun. Those of you who are listening on YouTube, you're okay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's funny, you know. Yeah, and, and funny that that they do to a certain extent have a good sense of humor. I find mm -hmm. it sometimes because it's Lord knows is how they keep my station up. I oh don't my know. goodness! Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even want to begin to be somebody who's a, a top-level administrator for one of the social media companies. I mean, oh, you, probably need, you probably need daily therapy just to do the job. I mean, you know, I would think about it. So, it, it, you know, it's it's. Um, I think also, Bridget, to continue answering your question is you know, mentorship is is. 
highly underrated. And I think one of the powerful things that's happened in our lamasery over the years, people ask us this about, is the concept that we realize that it would take two or three decades to take a human to mastership. Now, the reason why I think that's significant, look at the impact that this being Christ had to these people in a three or four year period. Imagine what he could have done if he actually could have worked with them two or three decades. Just imagine for a minute. Yeah. Supposedly there's 12 key people and about 72 disciples that they were working with. Imagine if he could have stuck around and mentored them for two or three decades. I have a feeling the whole story would have gone a lot different. That's what the llama said. I'll tell you something though. I wonder if that didn't actually happen. It's just that he did it with a very small number of people. The reason I say that is we have to remember like the gospels were written, I think a minimum of a hundred years after he died. So, I mean, it, it wasn't written by anybody who was actually there unless they actually had longer lifespans than I'm aware of. I don't really know for sure, but you know, it's always possible. Bridget um, knows where I'm getting ready to go. Look at her smile. She like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got the llama look. See the Cheshire cat? She's got the smile. Well, you know, he wasn't born 3,000 years ago, so, you know. <laughs> well, the, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a little hint because um, the patriot in the llama is coming out on the, what is it? Uh, I think it's the 23rd, our 21st episode's coming. And just to give people a feel of what happened at, 19, 20 weeks ago, Jimmy Swin and me started doing that show, live stream, YouTube, Facebook, just like you guys are doing. Use the same thing. We had 45 people show up. Last mm-hmm. week, we had 1,500. Ooh. And uh, we told people we're going to tell that. So Lama Seri actually has the answer to what you just said, Walt. Cool. And, she, and Bridget knows that. And, there, and, and you're not that far off at all. Not that far off at all. And so the next time we come on after that, if you want, guys want to talk a little bit about that, we'll definitely talk about that. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. actually do know. And, and, uh, and, uh, when I got to the Lamasera, you know, I, I, I kept reading a book years of King James version, about 16, 1800 pages, about like this, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I get to the bet. One of the first things I do, so I've been studying three years, remember in America. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a couple of months into Tibet and I'm rubbing my hands. Cause I'd heard about these books, uh, uh, carved in jade before mm-hmm. parchment, b- bounded by leather straps. And I, you know, they had all the, I said, I can't wait to get my hands on those babies, right? So he comes walking up to me. He says, well, you got to get through this book. And so this book was about 18 to 24 inches. Oof. And, I, and he, I said, what is this? And he said, this is the real Bible. Ooh. I Ooh. said, what? He said, this is the real Bible. This is the books of Enoch and this has had a couple uh, Gospels of Mary. Very mm-hmm. interesting, right? So Gospels of Christ himself. So, so this and, is the Bible before the Council of Nicaea is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And the funny thing, what I was told was this. You, you hear this. And I've talked to a couple of cardinals who verified this. You know, one worked in archives and one was part of choosing the future pope. Mm-hmm. And they were ex-cardinals. And on one of my trips to India... Years later, I had this friend that I met who was a scientist uh, at the Max Planck Institute in Munich, Germany. 
Hmm. And this guy was really cool. He said, Rasaji, you're coming through. He said, yeah. He says, listen, I got these two ex-cardinals I want you to meet with. I said, fine. So we're sitting down and we're having a little, you know, get together and having some tea and coffee and we're talking and they begin to share with me some of the stuff that's coming up. And I said, what are you guys doing right now? So I looked at the scientists and he was actually, they were testing human blood to see at what temperature it would actually combust, that it would actually be materialized. <laughs> I, I was it. going, man, <laughs> you know, I don't know. You guys are just too, too dangerous for me. You know? Yeah, so, I'm not stepping into that transport. No way. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking, what is going on? So I started listening to the Cardinal when they were curious about what I was learning and we were sharing. And of course, you know, if you're an organization 3,000 years around, you can imagine you can place people in pretty interesting places. And we've had llamas that are slash were cardinals. We've had llamas slash that were bishops and politicians and mm. South Korean senators and, wow. but they were llamas, but nobody knew they were llamas mm. because we had a reason spiritually, but we still had a reason to get real intel when the time came for us. So we, we know things sometimes that not everybody knows. But I'm looking at his Bible, and I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do with this? He says, when you can find the Tai Chi Gung in the Bible, I'll start considering that you can read those other books. I'm looking at this thing, right, this big, right? How am I going to get through this thing? You know, I, when he first came up to me and told me he's going to have me read the Bible, I said, oh, I I've been to that thing 11 times. I know it from cover to cover. You know, still as, as arrogant as all get out, right? But you're, then you're, you're like the freshman social science student who yeah. showed up in class and said, oh, yeah, I got this down pat and got handed five textbooks each 500 pages. You know, yeah. that's basically the look on your face. Oh, my God. I was like, you've got to be kidding. I mean, I just remember, you know. And then on top of that, you know, he said, I got to tell you something. You're here. You know, we practice silence. I said, what? Mm. He said, we practice silence. I'm thinking, well, I don't like to talk too much, so that should not be a problem with me. <laughs> and he said, I said, what do you mean by practicing silence? Like an hour or two a day? Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're, you get to talk one or two hours a week. <laughs> and that's if you do all your training, all your penance, your spiritual practices, and all your chores. And guess what? Yeah, you got it. Every now and then I'd go a couple weeks and I'd mess up, you know, <laughs> Forrest Gump, right? I'd mess up and I couldn't talk for three or four weeks. Now, you can imagine that was not difficult for me at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we would get to the one to three is when the energy changes from the solar cycle of the day to the lunar cycle of the day from yang to yin, right? And so that's when we would have our Friday get together and we'd either have a master or a master llama giving us instruction. And then the only time we could talk, we had to raise our hand and then we had to wait the course to be called on. And of course, mm -hmm. the, if they saw me even remotely shaking in my boot that I was too anxious to talk, of course, they, Rosaji wasn't even there, right? They just <laughs> go to the next guy, right? Now this is, Went on six 
continuous weeks. Wow. Leading up to that trip, I told you a little bit about last week where they took me up on the mountain for 45 days. So six weeks, so that's boot camp. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's and it. then you're going to take me up for another six weeks. And now not only do I not hear anybody else talk, I can talk all to I'm blue in the face, but I'll be talking to a four-legged llama, not, not mm-hmm. a two-legged llama. Right. But nobody would care because there's no cameras, no cell phones, no nothing. You know, now you do anything weird. Somebody's got you, you know? Yeah. yeah. But in those days I went up there and I just sit up there and, you know, it was like, Oh my God. But then it hit me about halfway through. I said, man, this was a setup. It was a setup. They were getting my mind ready. And when you realize that one of the things I've noticed about Tai Chi Gung is the very resistance, especially to our Western culture, right? Because Tai Chi Gong means give power to peace, which is the same thing that the mantra Om Shante means, you know. Om mm-hmm. is the seed Bindu word in front of all mantras, but it actually means give power to. That's why yeah. it parades. So if I want to give, you know, to Om Shante, give. So when you practice that, I asked the Lama one day after coming down the mountain, I said, why are we supposed to be practicing these exercises every day? You know? And he said, so that you get comfortable with your own peace. And you know, until I started teaching that never really hit me. I mean, it hit me a little bit on the mountaintop, right? But it really hit me about five or six years into it. And I could just, watch who would stay and who would be out the door, right? Mm -hmm. And when I put my finger on it, normally the person who had the most issues with it was because we were slowing them down more than they were comfortable with. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And at the root of that, think how powerful that is because you go back to scriptures and Christ is going through the Gospels and now he's talking about the promises you're going to mm-hmm. get, right? I promise mm-hmm. this. But what is the very first thing he says before you can have any more of the promises? He said, I don't you, you have to be peaceful. Ah, okay. So okay. the peaceful is the breeding ground for all mm-hmm. the promises. Think that about it. That makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it does, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And I'm thinking, I mean, you know, it's like my teacher used to say, you know, don't expect the check to show up at the mailbox if you don't have it nailed on the ground, right? <laughs> It'll just pass you right by, you know? Mm. And he's, and I remember my uh, yoga master when I was up at the Divine Women's Festival that lasts nine days every year in India, right? Because there's every, if most people know, and I'm sure your audience knows this, that one of the reasons there's 108 Malo beads is that in ancient India they had a hundred and eight names of God. Oh, and, and some of the Bridget's going to love this part of the story, and that some of them are male, quite a few of them are female, mm-hmm. some of them are formed, and some of them are unformed. Right, and going all along with the with the Christian Trinity mm-hmm. because they're either more toward the Holy Spirit which they call Vishu, or they're more toward God the Father, which they call Brahm, or they're more toward the Son, which they call Shiva. Mm-hmm. And they're all derivative. My, my favorite one is Lila. Lila 
like the flower, right? Lila's definition in Sanskrit means God came down to play. Oh, now, I, see, I see, it would show up perfectly on yeah. your guys' show, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. God came down to play. I said, imagine you're wanting children to embrace a God, right? Mm-hmm. Now, do I want to send God down with the long beard and he's got like this anvil in his head and like Thor and he barks real low like this and then he'll probably scare most of the children to death, right? Most of the parents too, I would <laughs> <Yeah>. think. <laughs> but if he came down looking like one of them or a little bit mm-hmm. bigger than, than him, they would probably say, yeah, I'm going to play with this guy, sure. right? Yeah. And then imagine that he could pick him up enough and just kind of roll him around like a little ball, okay? And so my my youngest son is 11, mm-hmm. and my oldest son has my first granddaughter, and oh, nice. she's two. Mm-hmm. And, I, and he's just small enough. That you see them when they interact, it's beautiful, right? Just absolutely beautiful. And it hits me. I'm going for the God that came down to play. I don't know about everybody else. I'm a Southern boy and I love to play. And obviously you can tell of the laugh. So that's my choice. Lila. Well, that's very cool. I like that. (laughs) When you were talking about the, uh, the part where everybody is silent though, I have to tell you, it reminded me of a very old joke. I don't know. You may have heard this joke. Was the story of a traveler who ends up being invited by a, a man that he meets in a, a tavern to come to the local monastery. He, he's actually a monk in the monastery. And the guy says, well, yeah, sure, that would be great. It'd be really interesting. I look forward to it. So they, they met and, and, uh, the guy took him up to the monastery and went inside and they arrived at uh, dinner hour and, uh, he says, now there's one thing you have to understand. We have all taken a vow of silence here. So they, they allow me to talk to you because you're an outsider, but no one else is going to say anything. And he says, well, all right. So they went to the dinner. It was very nice, very peaceful, delicious food and so forth. And then after the dinner, one of the monks shouts out seven and they all chuckle. He says to his host, wait a minute. I, I thought they weren't supposed to talk. He said, oh no, after dinner, we're allowed to tell jokes. He says, yeah, but all, all he said was seven. He said, yeah, but we know all the jokes. We've numbered them all. <laughs> <laughs> another, another mug shots out 47. And that got a bigger laugh. They, they really <laughs> liked that one a lot. And then one said 25. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Cool. They love that one. They love that oh, one. I love it. That's too and funny. So at one point, the monk says to him, would you like to try? He says, well, sure. He says, well, go ahead. All right. Um, 126. And there's dead silence. And then an eruption of laughter. They're falling on the floor with laughter. They're rolling in the aisles. His host is falling on the floor. He says, what did I say? What did I say? He says, they never heard that one before. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's too bad. That's too bad. I love it. I love it. Well, there's a lot to be said for humor. That is true. Lots to be said, you know. I bet you when we're done... First thing Bridge is going to do is Google Red Skeleton. What do you think? Well, <laughs> Red yes. Skeleton, absolutely, yes. yes. <laughs> I love to like so yes. <laughs> and she's going to have a lot to share with us next time we get back together. That's going to be funny. Well, and Red Skelton, that's the other thought that comes to me about him. He had a very gentle sense of humor. You were just right. telling a story about God coming down to play with children. Red Skelton would have been perfect in that role. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, because yeah. he, he just he just loved the gentle side of humanity. In fact, oh, yeah. if I remember correctly, wasn't he the one who actually started the thing? Kids say the darndest things, and Art Linklater picked that up, and then it became mm-hmm. a serious. Right. Wasn't it Red Skelton who did oh, yeah. it first? Oh, I think oh it yeah. Was. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not, yeah. It's huge. You know, a lot of people don't know this about his personal life, and this says a lot about the advancement that he was an old soul. This will tell mm. you he was an old soul, but he actually lost a child. And a lot of people oh, did don't he? know that. And oh. if anybody knows of anybody that's ever been through that, yeah. and I've been around a lot of people and counseled and mentored people on many levels that have, it is a big to do thing. It is extremely yeah. hard to move forward in your life and to know that that happened to him. And then he went on like another eight or 10 years being who he was. Mm-hmm. Most people. Yeah. Talking about a professional, n- most people never knew that about him, and that was amazing that he was uh, that he was like that. But but, but I think it probably informed who he became personality wise, because well, at that and, point he he yeah. I mean everything about his entire persona, his demeanor was yeah. all about loving. He oh, was man. a very very loving man who also yes. happened to do comedy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And was charitable and very mm-hmm. generous, oh, yes. enormously charitable and generous with his wealth. He really was just a yeah. beautiful, beautiful soul, mm-hmm. beautiful soul. So yeah. it's a, it's actually um, one of the things I do on our daily email is a little bit called the Daily Lama. And it's a little inspirational message, about five or six minute video that comes out every morning. And. Tomorrow's one that comes out, it says, out of the weakness, we really get strength. And mm-hmm. I relate to people, actually things that people go through and what it really does to people, you know, always in one way or another seems to turn them closer to the divine. Mm-hmm. They get new strength. They figure out how to overcome it. And then they realize, and a lot of people, when that first happens to them, it's like, I can't, I can't go on and I can't move forward. You know, divorce happens, you lose someone close to you, you know, but when they look back, the only thing they lost was that incident. They lost the incident and the pain sent them inside and it turned into something very powerful and profound. Mm -hmm. And the old saying, you know, what doesn't kill you, make you stronger. Right. Right. Yeah. Unbelievable. The stories that you hear about um, people, you know, it's amazing. Oh, that, that's happened so many times here on this podcast. So mm. many guests, so many special guests, co-hosts and so forth. And over and over and over again, it's the same thing. They went through what today is the, the cliche today is the dark night of the soul. They oh, yeah. All kinds of different things. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but they went through their dark night of the soul and came mm-hmm. out the end more spiritual or successful mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is, whatever their particular theme mm-hmm. was that mm-hmm. uh, they were there to talk about. It was it always started with some really, really deep, dark oh, place yeah. that they had to go through that that they wouldn't want to necessarily revisit again. But boy, are they glad that they did. That's the message that kept coming through over and over. Yeah, and over I remember the first year that I was consciously old enough and aware, because I think it takes a lot to this, that when you have great loss, that what it does to you, because you're mature enough to actually watch what happens. And as most people know from my from my story, is that 
after about five or six years, I mean, you would have never known that I was sick or anything, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, the out of the body experience I had at surgery in 68 was just the first of many. It just mm. opened up that psychic portal and I got used to going out and anytime I wanted to, I went out. So mm -hmm. I started to have this constant rapport with angels and all kind of light beings on the other side. Mm -hmm. But I was still 17 years old when mm -hmm. right in front of my eyes one day, my best friend was actually killed right in mm. front of my eyes. Oh my. Mm. At 17, you know, so you're where well, I was a part of a swim organization. My, my sister was actually Olympic quality swimmer. Wow. And I, and I was okay, but it wasn't my passion like the sure. arts and stuff, but the family did it as a family thing. Mm -hmm. So I was good enough to be in the high school state meets and stuff like that. So I was, Hey, that's not shabby. That's pretty good. You know, I was not a bad breaststroker. I just was yeah. not bad. So anyhow, we went, decided that we're going to blow off some steam, the swim team, which was about, I guess, 60 or 80 of us. And we have this little water spring in North Florida called Itchitechnic Springs. And it's where you park a car at one end and seven and a half miles later, you park your other cars, right? Mm. And you get in inner tubes with spring cold water. Of course, Ooh. it was August, right? And you, and it takes you about four and a half hours wow. to go down that stream. So that's yeah. what we did on the way back started to rain and the car that got an accident was probably 30 feet was all in front of me, hit some mm. shallow water with some bald tires. Um, and I saw, a, I saw a Volkswagen turn over a 1960 Chevy Impala. Remember how those were like tanks, right? Right, right. If there were 60 and it was a Chevrolet big car, I mean, it was like a tank. Yeah, Imagine an impact that a Volkswagen Beetle right. hit and turned over, right? Because those so, boats were practically made of aluminum by comparison. I oh, got yeah. the I got the PTSD syndrome. I mean, I got it. I'm sure. It was just, I had it. I did not know, and I drove. I had my two sisters and their best friend in the car. I was in that Chevy 72 Monte Carlo mm. and I reached back with the hand, pushed all three of them down in the floorboard because I didn't want them to see this because I, wow. I knew. And all the way up the hill, I went to a trailer, you know, way before cell phones, everything. I said, listen, I said, would you watch my sister's been a bad accident? I go down to the accident and now the rest of the swim team is starting to pull over the side of the road, right? Volkswagen is like this in the yeah. center of the road. And my mind just kept playing over for a long time. The screaming yep. of all the guys, there were five of them in the car. My mm -hmm. best friend was in the passenger to the, which is the most dangerous seat. Right. Mm -hmm. And when they turned, bingo, he got it right. And so I, but my mind had blocked down that anything was really wrong with him. I mean, it mm -hmm. snapped his neck immediately and I didn't know that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we go to the hospital and then one of my best friends who was a world-class uh, swimmer uh, years later and uh, actually became a Tai Chi private student for 20 years, oh, wow. years later am I, 
uh, is the one who comes in that day. And we're, we're in the man's restroom and he tells me, he said, you know, I don't know that you know this, the way you're acting, but you know, Gary's gone. And mm-hmm. I can tell you everything I knew about Chi and everything I knew about energy and my five years of martial art training. And remember, I was already a second degree going on third degree black belt. Mm. And if you know anything about metal stalls, I put my hand completely through a metal Ooh. stall in a bathroom. Wow. Like it was knife, a hot knife going through butter. Yeah. I didn't even feel it. And my hand didn't even swell. Wow. And it was just all chi. It was just, just focused that to all that point. But I remember for about six months waking up cold sweats during the night, mm-hmm. having, you know, dreams about him. It's ironically that about six months later, I would meet the master Lama in New York. And that experience for whatever the reason, was obviously became very important to have made me grounded enough because I was probably would have been considered the new age butterfly of butterflies leading up to that time. <laughs> I was considered the kite without the string and without uh-huh. the tail. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, he gets off. Oh, there goes the side again. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, talking right, about man. a grounding experience, right? And bring you back to reality. Mm-hmm. But that was it. But you know, after that, I remember spending time with the master talking about that and us talking about that and years later. But, uh, anyhow, that's what, uh, motivated me to do, uh, in the mornings message. No, I'm curious about something because mm-hmm. like I said, a lot of people have shared their dark night of the soul type stories here. Mm-hmm. One of the themes that usually follows, I can't say it's a hundred percent, but it's pretty close to a hundred percent is what that person did to overcome, to forgive, to let go, to whatever it took to get past that thing. Can you tell that part of the story? Oh, sure. Well, you were, and, and, and when I look today, it's, we actually talked about this early in the broadcast when Bridget asked me about connection and stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Today, it's what we actually, it's one of the most basic things we actually teach people to build that 20 to 40 minutes a day foundation, right? Mm-hmm. But when I was telling y'all about going to different places to go to a walk to motivate myself initially as a teenager, remember right. getting on my bicycle, I did a bunch of that and primarily mm-hmm. probably more the beach than anything mm-hmm. else, you know, and I would go to the beach and uh, usually rode my motorcycle because being out in that fresh open air, you know, free spirit, the whole nine yards, I would get to the beach and, you know, and sometimes it would be almost dark. And I've been out there maybe walking for a couple of hours and probably practicing a martial art form at the time. This was before Tai Chi, actually formerly Tai Chi training. But it was definitely, I realized that, you know, nature is so healing mm. and so like, you know, it just felt like the water would take your pain. It just could just felt like that, you know, and, 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 and that, and I'm glad you asked that, Walt, because the incident and the transformation getting on the other side of that, you know, 
quit having the dreams that rope me up in cold yeah. sweats during the night, which was part of my birth trauma, right? Mm-hmm. All of that. When I walked in that day, outside of my cockiness, you know, being an 18-year-old, you know, working on his second black belt and, you know, and and just, you know, just being who I was, the emotional part of me was definitely ready to meet him. Mm, and that okay. was important because of the, the things that transpired those next three years is I saw myself sometimes literally sneaking out of cattle calls. I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to be with the master llama, go do a calico. And then mom and dad said, I thought we sent you to New York to, to do a, a an entertainment career. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dad said, you're, you're messing with that guy with Tibbet again. Is he wearing all those robes and everything? <laughs> Tibbet. I like that. Tibbet. <laughs> My dad, he was, you know, my dad was somewhere split between Archie Bunker and Fred Sanford. Oh, okay. Well, there's a, there's a comment. And that might be there. another YouTube for you, Bridget. But, I mean, no, that one I'm good on. Yeah, good one, you know. Okay. But, but Carol O'Connor and, and Red Fox. Oh, my God. And actually, yeah. Oh, my God. And those That's were, again, great. times that I would literally laugh with my dad mm. and stuff. So hey. your walking and all of that was what um helped your – you just – Really just yeah. had to find out what worked for you, keep at it, and that. You know, and I, and I knew Bridget had worked before, right? That was a key, right? I knew that it had gotten me. See, one of the things that inspired me was early on, once the martial art master told me walk, he also told me a story, a Jesse Owens story. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. story. A lot of people don't know this about Jesse Owens. So right before Jesse Owens went to the 1936 Olympics, remember it was in Berlin and Nazi Germany was coming to power before World War II. And if you understand the concept of the Aryan race, and there's going to be a black man coming over here Mm -hmm. to run three races, and he took all three gold medals, what he had to do between his two ears to get ready for that, oh, yeah. he, he was completely petrified. He, mm-hmm. he knew he had the body. He knew he had the training. Oh, yeah. But he had all of it. So this is what his coach started doing. And, it, and what his coach taught him was huge. And I would do it a lot of times with private students locally. His coach says, let's go for a walk after the training. He could tell his mind was getting eat up with all this stinking thinking, right? Right. So he said he would start walking around the track after training. He's, and one day they'd been doing this for several days and Jesse looked up the coach and he says, coach, what, what are we doing? He said, don't worry about it. He says, if we walk a while and we talk a while, everything will get better. Mm-hmm. If we walk a while, and we talk a while, everything will get better. And I remember my martial arts instructor relating me that story and it drilled it into me. Mm. And I, and I have remember, you know, so think about it. The emotional self that has so much to do with your energy body, you know, it, 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 it deals even with blocking things with law of attraction. Like it, it can sabotage everything. So you get this auritic field. 
that is equally blended in your mind and your emotions. I, I refer to it not only as your energy spirit body, but also as your symptom body. Because a lot of things that happen in our health later, they first showed up there. Mm-hmm. And since I've been, I've been seeing aura since Tibet, and, you know, when our auras are clean, we're supposed to pretty much see the colors of the rainbow, right? But when we're holding on to a lot of emotions from the past, you'll see browns, you'll see some black, and you'll really see a lot like, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in the Smoky Mountains. And if you've ever been in the Smoky Mountains in the Carolinas mm-hmm. and Tennessee, mm-hmm. it looks a lot like that in people's auras when they're really hanging on to stuff, right? Okay. So one of the things that the Tai Chi Gung exercises does, it cleans that psychic energy body, which means it cleans your emotion and your mental energy. So what happens is, is that now your spirit self and your Sharat, your soul, is more clear to communicate to this being Easier to take this 3D into 5D because 4D is where most of this unconscious stuff is happening and lingers, right? And it's one of the most basic reasons that we sleep at night Mm. because that body needs to be cleansed, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what happens is I learned a long time ago that when it comes to cleansing your emotional self, the mind at best can do that about 50% effectively. Because as we know, sometimes our minds are worse enemy. Mm-hmm. If the mind doesn't want to think positive or it doesn't want to tell you jump in a car and go to a park, the mind just sits back like a runny-nosed radical teenager and just says, I ain't doing it, daddy, mama, right? <laughs> so you got to slip in the back door. Well, the body in its motion and the kind of motion it does And also the breathing, whether you're breathing energy and not just oxygen, those two together cleanses the other 50% of the emotion. See, they the two together, mind and body. See, there's intelligence deeply in the DNA of the body that says, you know, mind, you're not so big shot all the time. I can teach you a few tricks also. And that's kind of how we teach this Tai Chi Gung. I explain it this way. I'm going to teach you four to six exercises. It's only going to take you 20 to 30 minutes to do. You're going to feel fantastic in the beginning, not have a clue why. (laughs) And as you're doing these exercises, it not only milks the chi, it milks you to breathe in the way you should breathe, like nature wants you to breathe, right? Mm -hmm. And you're feeling better. You're not knowing why. You don't care because you're feeling better, right? And lo and behold, what's actually happening is you're scrubbing and cleansing the aura like it we do when we go to sleep at night. Ah. You see? So when I was in Tibet, it was about six months that first year. Of course, I didn't see the Lama much because shortly after I was there, he was promoted to head Lama, Maha Lama. So uh, he had more duties to do. He was no longer my private mentor and so on and so forth. But every now and then he would make, are you okay, Rasaji? Because he was concerned about me being homesick. You know, I was only 19 years old. Mm-hmm. He was concerned about me being homesick. And wow. <laughs> We'll see you all next time. You're on yeah. all the way today. Goodbye, everybody. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye.